last month on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. As every generation thinks that they were the greatest generation, that the generation ahead of them is worse off, and then that generation thinks that the older generation are just a bunch of old assholes. Yearning for a time when you had to break into a garage to find an old dusty magazine in hopes of seeing a naked woman. And people are like, oh, he sucks. He hasn't broken out yet. Oh, Dante Moncrief sucks. He's never going gonna, gonna to break out. There's no breakout. He's not going to... And you're like a yoga pooper. We had a lot of poop talk, man. Dude, that poop talk was great. People are going to appreciate that poop talk more than anything. I enjoy it, too, and I think it's important for our audience's hygiene, but I wonder if we go too far, but... Fuck those people. And It's not like a fifth meal or fourth meal that Taco Bell claims. What the fuck are you talking about? And It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And Is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged you. And with me, as always, is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. How is it going, Matt? I'm sore, man. I'm sore. Oh, man, I'm getting old, but I'm trying to stay in shape. It's a great conundrum, right? In order to feel better, you need to exercise more as you get older. But when you exercise... You get more sore as you get older. This is the catch-22 of aging and strength and conditioning. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, myself in my mid-30s, don't want to rattle off exact ages here. Uh, I know I know the uh, I know the pain, man. Been lifting for a long time, and as I've gotten older, not not only are you sore longer, it takes a lot longer to heal from injuries. So you're trying to go hard in there. You're trying to make the best of your time in there. One little mistake, you could pay for that thing for months. Yeah, years. I strained my quad, and it took two months to heal. I had to go to physical therapy. These guys that strain muscles in the NFL and they're back in a week or two is unfathomable to me. That, yeah, that's that ability. When you're 18, when you're 23. Some of these guys are 31 doing it. They're in their 30s. It's impressive. That's Brandon Marshall. That's Larry Fitzgerald. That's uh, maybe not Marshall. But that's those guys that can <laughs> that can bounce back from that. Should have said Brandon Marshall. Can we cut that out? Definitely Larry Fitzgerald, though, right? And I'm in this class where you alternate between rowing and these floor exercises, like a Tabata-style floor exercise. And this week, the instructor brought out something called a BOSU ball. Now, a BOSU ball looks like a lot of fun. I was like, oh, wow, look at that. That looks like a lot of fun. What I found is, in these classes, the more innocuous and fun the gear looks, the more devastating it is to your body. And this BOSU ball destroyed me. It's like, it's like half of a yoga ball. So it's like half a yoga ball on a round disc platform. And they put it on the ground, and you can bounce on it, and it looks fun. But the next thing you know, you have to step up on it, and then kick, and then step back down. Then you're doing push-ups on it. So you do a burpee on this thing, and then you have to turn it over, and then you grab the BOSU ball, and you hoist the BOSU ball up over your head. Then you put the BOSU (laughs) ball back down, and you do a push-up on the BOSU ball. It's devastating. I hate the BOSU ball. I fell forward again. I was duped again by the trainer, thinking, oh, this will be fun. Finally, finally, an exercise class that's fun. No, horrible. I hate the BOSU ball. It is deceiving. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's so deceiving. Yeah, it is. My disposition is, oh, I'm all about fun. I'm ready to have fun. I expect fun. And when fun doesn't happen, I'm disappointed. So the BOSU ball was a disappointment. These items that the trainers bring out, they're all some form of torture. They're all torture devices in some way. So my wife said, well, you need to eat bananas to help you recover. Is that a thing? Eating bananas to recover? Bananas are fine. I don't eat a lot of bananas, but yes, I think people do believe that bananas are good post-workout. I thought you would be someone who ate a lot of bananas. When I envision <sighs> Nate List, I just envision you eating bananas. I don't I don't eat very many bananas. When I do, I put them into like smoothies and shakes and stuff like that. I don't I don't eat a lot of bananas and I don't know what the implication of me eating a lot of bananas is. Like for a health reason or because bananas are clearly a phallic shaped fruit, I want to know. In general, 
Well, your character on this show is ape-like, is it not? I mean, I guess. Yes, I would say I'm, I perhaps could be ape-like. You are the show's proto-human, and I think of proto-humans as eating more bananas than the average human. Therefore, Nate List would, by definition, eat more bananas. So I like bananas. I try to eat multiple bananas per day. They give you energy. They're healthy. They have this natural vitamins. How do you open a banana? Um, well, you know, it depends. If it won't just break at the at the stem at the top, okay. sometimes I'll take a knife and make a little slit. It's a big mistake. If you're okay. starting at the stem at the top, you're already making an, an enormous mistake. Giant blunder. You're about to correct something that I've been doing for 20 years. What you've been doing for 20 years has been wrong. It's been dead wrong. It's been suboptimal. <gasps> you do not open a banana from the top. You open it from the bottom. That's the mansion lifestyle tip of the day. Turn that banana, what you think of as upside down, and you just put your fingernail under the bottom of the banana and you push it up and it pops right off like a cap. And you can just easily peel the banana down, three, four peels. And the beauty is the top of the banana is never squished. You don't lose banana at the top. The top remains intact and the bottom remains fully intact. You're wasting banana when you open it by the stem and you're eating mealy banana at the top. So you start whoa, off the experience whoa. with mealy banana. Why would you want to start with mealy banana when you can start the experience off with a delicious firm banana? And that's what you get when you start from the bottom. You're not paying attention to what I said, because when you slit the top of a banana with a knife, that is the ultimate attempt to not squish the banana. That is like, well, that's if you have a knife. I'm saying you just grab a banana off the shelf. You want to eat it immediately. You don't have time to go fetch a knife. You want to open it the right way. Most people open it by gripping the stem. And that is an egregious blunder. You're disrespecting the banana when you open it from the top in quotes. You open it from the bottom. Okay, well, first off, I'm going to continue to open it from the top. Put that stem down. Face the stem down. It's unorthodox. It feels unorthodox at first, but once you do it a few times, it feels natural. It feels like the way. You want to know how I know this is the right way to eat a banana? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> The most prolific banana consumers who do not have access to knives in the wild, primates open bananas from the bottom. They do it the right way because they respect the banana. Just because it's been done one way for a long time, Matt, doesn't make it the right way. A long time? A long time? Do you know how long primates have been around? I mean, you should know. <laughs> I but don't, what's that even mean? Well... Yeah, the origin of us. I don't know exactly when we <laughs> became. We say like, oh, throw a number at it. Millions of years. I guess. Millions. I guess. Millions of years, bananas have been around. They've been opened the correct way until humans came along and started smushing the top of bananas in a disrespectful fashion. Anytime I see someone opening a banana on the stem end, I'm embarrassed for that person. I'm embarrassed for that person. I'm embarrassed for Mother Nature mm -hmm. that somehow evolution has led us astray. I'm correcting the mistake. I'm fixing the glitch. There's been a banana glitch. I'm fixing the glitch. Well, I'm not going to change what I'm doing, but here's a question. If you open a banana, regardless of what end you open it from, I open it from my end, you open it from yours, we both have a banana. If there's a brown spot on that banana, what do you do? I generally eat the brown. Oh, God. Oh, God. I just power through it. Isn't that gross? It's not as good. No, it's a bruise, but I generally power through it. But Stop. here's the exception. When I'm preparing a banana for my daughter, I will cut off the bruise. I, it's like inherently you know that bruise is gross. It's it's easy with the banana to just break off the second, you know, like eat to it, break it off, throw it away, and continue eating. You don't have to. I think that's how you know I'm a good father because I would do for my daughter what I would not do for myself in the consumption of a banana. No, it, I, it sounds like you're a great father. I mean, you're not letting her eat. <laughs> oh, I'm a man. Oh, I'm great. I'm, I'm, 
I'm incredible. That's that's a fantastic job on your part, but you got to look out for you. You know, you're going to all these classes, doing this workout stuff. I just don't often have access to a paring knife. You seem to be surrounded. You've surrounded yourself in your life with paring knives. I don't have that. I don't have easy access to paring knives. I'm never less than two feet away from some sort of knife to cut something. I've always got one around. I'm always ready. I'm handy. I'm prepared. Was that a big moment for you when you learned how to create a knife-like blade from a rock? It took us a long time. I mean, I had to smash it with other rocks. We broke a lot of rocks trying to get there, but, you know, over time, we got there. <laughs> it's quite the conflict that I've created this picture of you, this proto-human illustration of you yet you're not eating a banana the right way so there's an evolutionary conflict at work there i'm not sure how how i resolve that there's a biological conflict there i'm not sure how i resolve it still justified i guess so speaking of bananas (laughs) did you see this nfl network sexual harassment scandal i gotta ask you something People are aware that we talk about the show, we have a show sheet, we work off things. That's why our show oftentimes sounds more prepared than other shows, even though I generally sound unprepared. Matt's very prepared. We sound more prepared than other shows? Oh, come on. I always thought we were on the less prepared end of the spectrum. No, I think our I think our off-the-cuff stuff makes us great, but we're very prepared. Can you give us your rankings, your top 10 list of what makes us great? You want the top 10? You want me to start from 10? I'll simplify it. Your top five reasons why the Sonic Truth podcast is great. Okay, number one, we're not, we're not afraid to be crass. We don't hold back. We say it like it is. We don't always agree, but we give the people the honest truth. Number one, we're not bullshitters. That's number one. And that's a good one. It's a fact. I don't know what end of the spectrum that should be on. I might have started the other end. Hashtag facts. Hashtag facts. So that was number one. So we're working backwards like I eat a banana. It's a good one. So number two, number two, we talk about players that people don't talk about on this show. Okay. We're ahead of the curve. Oh, speaking the truth again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're ahead of the curve. Number three, we show great rapport, even though we have never met in person. I was talking to my wife about that. I said, we should go visit Nate. And then I showed her on a map where you live. And she said, never mind. I don't blame you. I don't, I don't blame you for that. My daughter said, where is that? She didn't know it was in the United States where you live. Yeah, you had to get out the, the flat earth map, stretch it out. You're like, okay, so everything's surrounded by an ice wall. Well, I had to zoom out and zoom out and zoom out and zoom out until she found a city she recognized. Oh, where, where did you guys see LA or something? I think she finally saw Los Angeles and realized where California was yeah. in relation to you. And she said, oh, I guess I kind of understand where he lives. I was like, yeah, you you, yeah. you really don't. It's not. Two up Never from mind. there, squished between Idaho and Canada. Isn't it true that where you live tried to become its own state? No, no. That's like, try. what do you mean? It is a state. What do you mean? Try? Didn't you try to break away? Didn't Southern Oregon try to break away with Northern California and become their own state? There, Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is something about that that because there's a lot of farming down there. So I think that they wanted to break away to be like their own territory, their own state, because they're not, you know, it's not a metropolitan area. It's a lot of farmers. And so I think that's kind of how it came about. Northern California, Southern Oregon. Anyways, it's 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 irrelevant. It would be a really useless state if they did that. Wasn't it Michigan that wanted to split into two states? Well, that would make sense because there's a lake through it. Right. So I think that Michigan was going to. Maybe someday they will. I don't know, Matt. I do know this. Let me repeat number two. That little peninsula that juts out of Wisconsin. They should just join Wisconsin. That piece of Michigan belongs with Wisconsin, does it not? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what belongs to who, Matt. Aesthetically, you would think you would want contiguous land. This is the typical offshoot, off-tangent. I don't know. I tried to bring this back to sports. I wanted to talk about the NFL Network's sexual harassment scandal. That's sports. That's technically sports. It's certainly not fantasy football. <laughs> it's definitely not Dynasty League football, but it's at least sports. I was just trying to fill in that top five list. It's fine. Where are you at? You said rapport. Yeah, that was three. Rapport was three. Number two, you got a lot of understanding of the of the world of the Judaism, of the Jews. And also, happy Hanukkah, night number four, for the fellow Jewish... Well, when this airs, it'll be night number seven. Yeah, exactly. For the fellow Jewish listeners out there, they're going to understand how many days went by. I've just time-stamped it. And number one... That's number two? That was number two. Well, I, like I said, I'm going the other way around. We're, we're going backwards. JCC Talk is number two? Oh, God. You're really petering out here. This is what happens when you put someone on the spot for a top five list. I've had a pretty good list so far. A Nate list.
I deserve this. I set the show up for content failure with that question. No, you did not. And I feel like this list is pretty strong. First three were strong. Number four took a little bit of a nosedive. I'm going to try and pull it out of there. I'm going to grab the steering call and pull this thing back up. So last, number five. Number five, we've wrecked a lot of podcasts on here. We've crushed all of our enemies in our path. That's number one. Absolutely. I don't know if you were listing those items in ascending or descending order, but that should be number one. Us blowtorching other fantasy analysts has to be number one. I get a lot of pleasure from that. <laughs> I derive a hell of a lot of enjoyment from criticizing members of this industry. So speaking of bananas. Yeah, someone needs to talk about this NFL Network scandal. No one's talking about it. It's like it never happened. I see one dead spin report and zero conversations on Twitter about it. No one wants to talk about the vaunted NFL Network. Don't want to be on the record mocking or criticizing the NFL Network, even though the details on this lawsuit are egregious. I mean, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five employees. One woman, five employees. That's a lot. Part of my purpose in reading this article the first time was to make it to the end to see if there were more women involved, but no, it's just one. Are you familiar with the details of this? I don't know what to say, Matt. You know, um, I've heard a little bit of it. I'm not, I'm not fully educated. I sent you the link to read. The one job you had before this show was to go read the article on Deadspin, it's not which true. has copies of the original lawsuit. They have the documents. I was asked to do a lot of things before this show, Matt. This was not the one thing. I, I will admit, per usual, I failed. I didn't read it. I see sexual harassment, though, and you told me it was only one woman. So I feel like I'm already pretty tuned into what's going on here. The allegation was against Marshall Falk, Warren Sapp, Donovan McNabb, Ike Taylor, Heath Evans, and a man named Eric Weinberger, Crap. who has since moved on to The Ringer. That's the Bill Simmons sports media vehicle. And the details of this are horrifying and yet not surprising, right? Because every day you open CNN.com and you see another high-profile celebrity is embroiled in a sexual harassment or sexual misconduct-related scandal. And every time I read one of these headlines, I think to myself, when is this going to touch sports? How are famous people in sports media not embroiled in these scandals? Because while there are certainly scumbags in Hollywood, as we've seen, the athletes in our culture are not typically the most sophisticated members of the community. I mean, think back to high school. Who were the rudest, crudest members of your high school class? People in band. No, they were the jocks. Oh, yeah, that's right. So you're not allowed to be surprised that this is how the meathead gladiators make the transition from the locker room to corporate office suites. This is the least surprising article I've read in quite some time. This is how I expect the meatheads to act in a corporate environment, just not be able to turn off the locker room. So I think this is just the beginning. I think the scandals have been raging in Hollywood. This is just the first domino to fall in sports. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not surprising, though. Just like you said, it's just finally this period of time that we're in right now. Things are coming out. People are empowered to speak out. You know, they've probably tried to speak out in the past. People like this had a lot of power. They're getting shooed away. But this is a period of time where if you've got a history, people are coming out. It's obviously about justice. Here's why I think more of these scandals will surface in the weeks and months ahead, because... The one who sent the text messages to Jamie Cantor, she was a wardrobe stylist at the NFL Network, so she helped the television analysts pick out their, their suits, helped them prepare for their on-camera work. She would receive text messages, and the lewd text messages came from the one guy listed here that wasn't a professional athlete, Eric Weinberger. He wrote, watching you walk down the hall makes me crazy. Your ass drives me insane. I mean, I think it's okay to laugh at this because we're laughing at the ridiculous bad judgment of meathead hornballs in sports media because when you put the meathead gladiators in close contact with women, they can't turn off the rock star personas that they cultivated over the years. I mean, are you familiar with Heath Evans? 
Unfortunately, yes. When you think of the quintessential meathead football analyst, do you not think of Heath Evans? That's the first one that comes to mind. Isn't he, though? Definitely. Are you surprised that he sent nude pictures of himself on multiple occasions? No, I'm not. Text messages! What are you doing? Text messages? Well, it's not merely the disrespect that it shows. It's the lack of common sense. That's just stunning. And here's another thing. The Eric Weinberg guy that sent that message to her. He's a complete idiot. And I'm not a woman, so I've never experienced sexual harassment on this level. These men are wired in a way that they expect the women in their orbit to worship them. The definition of misogyny is that you view women as objects to fulfill your desire, not as people. And that's essentially the case that Jamie Cantor is laying out here. It is a lesson for men on how not to behave in the workplace. Marshall Falk asked her for her favorite sexual position and whether or not she liked oral sex. He asked her that to her face. Marshall Falk invited Cantor to his hotel room and was stroking and pulling out his genitals in front of her pointing his crotch at her and asking her, when are you going to get on this already? Was he whipping it around? Was he holding it down at the bottom to, to give it support? Yes. While he was gesticulating here? You know you know how it works. You got to find the perfect can light to stand underneath. You prep it out a little bit before you do it. The real question is, are you that confident? Are you going hard or are you going soft? How are you showing up? That is a good question. That's a great question. I don't know. I think that if I were ever in that circumstance, and I never will be in that circumstance, because I don't think I've ever been quite that horny, and I'm not an idiot. I mean, I've been very horny before, but this level of horny is not a horniness I've ever experienced. There's nothing worse than her going and telling people that you whipped it out in front of her and that's sexual harassment, and then also telling them that it didn't look that big. Crack that whip. Whip it. Whip it good. I mean, these guys. I mean, you read the details on this lawsuit. Eric Davis said, you look like you would be an animal in the sheets. Who says in the sheets? I have never in my life uttered the phrase in the sheets to a woman. We got to get in the sheets. Have you ever said that in the sheets? You ever uttered that phrase? Yeah, yes, I have. You, you have? Uh, there's definitely been a time or two in my younger days when I used the phrase "lady in the streets, freak in the sheets." I think I think you've either heard that. If you have not said it, you've really missed a good window in your life to use it. You're well beyond it now. No offense. Do not use it now. And I haven't even reached the most salacious detail on this story. Don't forget, Warren Sapp was named in this lawsuit. He's a good guy. Is he? No one named in this suit is ever allowed to be considered a good guy ever again. We're not talking about a single innuendo-based comment here. Rude solicitation after rude solicitation. So Jamie Cantor is preparing clothes for the analysts in one of the bathrooms. So they had to convert one of the bathrooms into essentially a changing area. And the analysts were asked to use a different bathroom to urinate. Well, that didn't stop Warren Sapp from walking into what had been converted into a changing area and peeing in the urinal. And when Ms. Cantor asked him to stop, he wheeled around and told her, sorry, mama, your office shouldn't be our shitter. <laughs> You're laughing, but that is incredibly demeaning to someone. And Warren Sapp thought it would be a good idea to give this woman sex toys as Christmas gifts. But he didn't send her a sex toy themed Christmas gift once. Oh, no. He sent her sex toys three years in a row. Wow. Three years in a row, Nate. Put yourself in the mind of someone that is sending the same coworker sex toys year after year after year at Christmas. Actually, don't put yourself in that person's mind. You don't want to be in that mind. You don't want to know what's in there. You don't want to see that darkness in the mind, in the mind. The second year is what I want to focus on because the previous year he sent a dildo, I'm speculating, and that didn't work the first year, but he thought, oh, oh, this year, 
This year, I'll send her another dildo, and this is the year, or a different sex toy. No, no, last year's sex toy, it didn't do the job. But this year, I got the sex toy that's going to flip the switch. That's what was running through his mind. And then after the second year, the third year, he thought, you know what? I got an idea. Sex toy. That's it. That's what'll do it. Three years in a row at Christmas. Every year, he remembered to send the sex toy at Christmas. Did he have to put that in his calendar to remember? Oh, Christmas is here again. Oh, it really sneaks up on you. Gotta go shopping for that sex toy. (laughs) What? It's the giving season, Matt. We get towards the end of the year. People are attempting to be thoughtful. Three years in a row, sex toys. Now, I don't know what they were. I mean, what if he made a mold of himself? I can see him doing that. I really can. It's just a soft mold, though. (laughs) What if we made a soft mold of your penis? Would that get the job done? (laughs) Uh, I mean, I can give it three years in a row. (laughs) But what you're saying is... For your gift to have the necessary substance, it would require three years of soft penis molds. For it to really work with the effect that I need it to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would definitely send three years worth of soft penis molds to really get to the root of it. Okay, you got to be honest with yourself, though. You've got all these guys all sending similar messages, texts, verbally saying it in passing, crossing it a definite boundary, obvious sexual harassment. I got to believe that there was an open dialogue in some sense. I'm not justifying what they did. I just find it hard to believe with all these guys having so much to lose with one woman in particular, she took it this long. All I know is she filed a lawsuit allowing these details to become public. So no, I don't think that she wanted any of this. You know how people can gather on social media around a cause that they feel passionate about and it turns ugly, it becomes an angry mob? Sure, yeah, the tribal mentality. The tribal mentality. The angry mob can be terrifying. And when a group of people get together and all act, in this case, inappropriately, they give license to one another to act this way, even though the woman is an unwilling participant. It's unspoken, but she's essentially been conspired against in her workplace. Like we've seen at Uber, for example, if you've read the exposés on the Uber corporate culture, those in leadership excuse away the behavior. They rationalize it. They ignore it. They put the complaints in a drawer and never look at them again. And when the bad behavior is consistently excused away, it emboldens the perpetrators to push further, to push further. And then there creates a feedback loop. The feedback loop is part of the culture in that you see someone else pushing a boundary. You decide to push the boundary a bit further. The next guy pushes the boundary a bit further. And this is how the details of this lawsuit end up playing out. It's not consistent. Over time, the behavior escalates because the corporate culture enables it. And in all of these instances, whether it's the NFL Network, whether it's Uber, it's a failure of leadership to intervene because always, 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 always there are initial reports that are ignored. The reporters silenced, marginalized. And then that creates a negative feedback loop where other women hear about how these incidents are not properly addressed how the reporters were ostracized, and that serves as a disincentive for other employees to report the behavior, and the feedback loop continues. This was a failure of leadership as much as it was egregious behavior on the part of the analysts. I would guess that Jamie Cantor reported this before and that she was ignored, and that at the upper levels of leadership, the behavior was trivialized and the reports rationalized away. I spoke to Aaron Coscarelli from the NFL Network about sexism in sports media and broadcasting. I asked her about this phenomenon a year ago, but my podcast and no medium was a safe place for her to discuss it. That's what we have now, which is incredibly encouraging. Now social media has become a safe space with the hashtag MeToo movement. It's a long time coming. And the NFL Network isn't the only place with a poisonous corporate culture. Oh, no. This metastasizes. Where do these individuals go on to work? Follow the breadcrumbs. Look at Mr. Super Horny, Eric Weinberger. He went to the ringer. What effect on the ringer's corporate culture did Eric Weinberger have? What corporate culture preexisted 
at the ringer that would tempt Eric Weinberger to seek employment there. Think about it. As we sit and we wait for the next sports media personality to be implicated in a similar scandal, my guess is it will be a self-important power broker who is intoxicated by the sound of his own voice. Who is going to be the Bill O'Reilly of sports media? The sports media industry will have a Bill O'Reilly level personality implicated sooner rather than later. We just don't know who it is yet. In the meantime, we follow the breadcrumbs. Now, speaking of men behaving badly, have you ever introduced your wife to any of your Dynasty League teams? She knows. Have you ever bothered to go to your roster and show her the players and be like, listen, honey, I got a first round bye. This team is going to the championship. I openly roster bait all the time. I've got some good teams and some leagues. So she's she's well aware. She's well aware of my successes. You had the best team in the Patrons League. I don't know what to say. Just hashtag blessed, Matt. And you're still in the playoffs. You're going to take this thing down. I think I've got a good shot. You know, I got, uh, you know, despite the fact that I've got Kevin White on my roster, um, got some grenades, drafted Kelvin Benjamin, was kind of shunned for that. It's been a, it's been a good year. You know what's funny? People gave me a lot of shit. They said, you're drafting too many Alabama running backs because I had Eddie Lacy, I had Mark Ingram, and I had Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake. Woo! Saving the day. You even have Rod Smith. Wow. Rod Smith. DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones. This is a good team. It's been it's been putting up points. Julio's super inconsistent. I, I think anybody that owns Julio Jones in any leagues, I, it's almost to the point with Julio now that I'm not even expecting big games out of him anymore because there's so few and far between. You have Tyreek Hill. Woo! Christian McCaffrey. Don't you like the fact that this format, you start five receivers, so you've been able to start Kenny Stills and enjoy mm. those big Boom weeks from Kenny Stills. Isn't that nice? Yep. Because yep. I've got a great floor on this team, and you get a guy, yeah, like a guy, Kenny Stills, or if you own, say, Robert Woods, or these guys that are having, you know, big games here and there, it's just a boon to your offense. Yeah, I love I love to start five wide receivers. It's pretty awesome. Hey, Kyle Rudolph, Jack Doyle combo. I'm in some other dynasty leagues not administered by myself, and shocked to learn that there is no trade deadline, right. that you can trade throughout the fantasy playoffs. Trades are happening now in leagues, oh, no. and I don't understand that. What do you think about the no-trade-deadline policy for Dynasty? It's fucking stupid. We talked about this before. <laughs> it, this is, it's so dumb. Like, we talked about this. There is an owner in your league that probably has a, a bad team. It's in the bottom five teams that owns Larry Fitzgerald that's willing to sell him to some owner that's in the semifinals now who's going to have the, the 112, the 113, the 114. You're going to sell Larry Fitzgerald for the 114, and this guy's going to get him and get eight catches for 135. It's, it's ridiculous. I don't think that you should be able to trade in the playoffs. In fact, in all the leagues that I'm in, the trade deadline is enacted like two weeks before the playoffs or like a week before the playoffs begin. So at two weeks before the playoffs, we have an early trade deadline in all the leagues I administer because it helps to foster competitive integrity. Think about when the shoe is on the other foot and you're facing a team and a day before the matchup starts, Larry Fitzgerald is airdropped onto that team's roster for a pick <laughs> in the semifinals of the playoffs. How is that fair? It's not fair. It's just not fair. So if you care about competitive integrity and general fairness, you don't allow it. It doesn't enhance the league to allow trades in December. It just doesn't. No. It's abominable to allow trades in December. Allowing trades in December is inexcusable. You should dance with the one you brought, Matt. But if you're in a league where there is no trade deadline, you can't simply not trade out of protest. Don't do that. You play within the rules of the league you're in. And I'm in a league with no trade deadline, and I've made some last-minute deals with a win-now roster. Most recently, I acquired Mike Davis. I acquired Mike Davis for a pick swap, so one of the worst teams owned Mike Davis. I'm currently the leader, so I did a pick swap. I traded my first-round pick for their second-round pick. So worst case, I moved down three slots. Or best case, I moved down only a single slot. But he felt like, oh, I'm getting a first-round pick. 
And I felt like, oh, I'm getting Mike Davis. Mike Davis was the ideal late-year trade target. That's the player you want to trade for late in the year, the running back that can make an impact in the fantasy playoffs. In previous years, it was Tim Hightower. It was Bilal Powell. This year, that guy is Mike Davis because he's getting a lion's share of the touches in Seattle. And since the addition of Dwayne Brown, their offensive line has been significantly better. So they're a better run-blocking unit with Dwayne Brown. And since Mike Davis arrived, he's had to face the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Philadelphia Eagles. But now this week, finally, it's a friendly matchup for Mike Davis. We get to see what Mike Davis looks like against a soft run defense. So I'm excited to play Mike Davis in all formats this week. And if you can find a way to sneak in Mike Davis under the wire at the end of the year, if you have a competitive team, I would do it. Who's that guy for you, that inexpensive running back that dynasty owners need to be trading for at the end of the year? Well, I was going to say Mike Davis is definitely one of those guys I like. But in addition to Mike Davis, I'd also say Chris Carson is one of those guys that I'd be interested in. I don't know how Seattle's backfield plays out come next year. Mike Davis has been great. Chris Carson looked good before he got hurt, and that's prior to the Dwayne Brown selection. But Well, Chris Carson's a stash for you. So if you're not competitive, you've been eliminated. Trade for Chris Carson as a stash. So that's a different concept. What about teams that are in win-now mode? You haven't prepared for this question. Well, the question the question didn't really... Uh... It's a disposable running back that will likely command a significant opportunity share in the backfield for the remainder of the season, but no one expects that to carry over into 2018. Who's that running back? I think Alex Collins has broken out a little too much at this point, but that would be a guy that I think fits that mold. Oh, three weeks ago, it was Alex Collins. That's a perfect example. Three weeks ago, Alex Collins was Mike Davis. Right. No, that's a great point. So, I mean, exactly like you're saying, you grab Mike Davis today, he shows out for the next couple weeks. All of a sudden, he is what Alex Collins is now. The question is, then we've seen it before from Seattle specifically, they're willing to go into the season with an undrafted free agent or a late round draft pick running back. They're not the team that necessarily has to go out there and get a second round running back and go with that. I do believe Seattle looks for running back in rounds three through five next year, but Mike Davis has looked good. Chris Carson did look good, but in terms of this question, I think Mike Davis is probably my favorite. I mean, you said him first, but that's honestly one of my favorite targets right now because there's probably low expectation that this carries over beyond this point. He's looked good. He's had tough matchups, so his price is still relatively low. This will be a good week to see what he can really do, and it's also an opportunity to still buy low. Even less expensive than Mike Davis is Kerwin Williams. It's Kerwin Williams commanded 90% of the running back opportunities last week. People thought, oh, DJ Foster is going to get a lot of passing game work. No, that didn't happen. It was a competitive game last week against the Titans, and Kerwin Williams was the team's bell cow. 20 carries and a target, 88 total yards. Now, the fantasy points have not crested 10 because he's not scoring touchdowns and he's not catching a significant number of passes. But 20 carries is 20 carries. And the Cardinals will score points in the last three weeks of the season. And Kerwin Williams runs a 4-4-8. So Kerwin Williams is fast and he has average speed and agility. So he's relatively athletic. So if you give me a relatively athletic player, tell me he's going to get 20 carries in the context of this Cardinals offense, then that's a guy that's worth trading a pick swap for. Is he not a late round pick swap? Mike Davis required an early round pick swap. You can get Kerwin Williams for a late round pick swap. And that could be the difference. I like the idea of Kerwin Williams in terms of a team that needs a little bit of running back depth and a guy that's getting the workload. But as far as going into 2018, obviously he's a non-factor. David Johnson is coming back. David Johnson possibly comes back this year. I have no idea. I remember there was speculation that maybe he, not for our playoffs, but for the NFL playoffs. Mike Davis, on the other hand, is David Johnson coming back? I heard that a long time ago. I haven't heard anything recently. We haven't heard anything from David Johnson. My assumption is they're shutting him down because they're not in contention. Yeah, yeah. So he's likely not coming back, but he probably could have, meaning regardless, next year, that's David Johnson's backfield 100%. But Mike Davis is definitely a guy that could go into camp next year, competition with Chris Carson, beat him out, be the starter in Seattle, and he still doesn't cost you that much. Like you said, you slid back two spots to get him. He's not beating out Chris Carson. Chris Carson looked like the truth. Mike Davis is adequate. Okay, He's a guy. 
Chris Carson has the ability to be better than replacement level. Mike Davis does not have the ability to ascend much higher than replacement level. Chris Carson looked fine. He's not even close to what Thomas Rawls was. And now Thomas Rawls is absolutely nothing. He's a healthy scratch. So again, you could be something in Seattle one day. Thomas Rawls last year, two years ago, was like the best damn running back statistically we had seen in forever. He was amazing. People thought it would never stop. And he is a freaking healthy scratch now. So as much as I agree that I thought Chris Carson looked like a better player when I watched him play, I'm not ruling out Mike Davis taking his job. Well, Chris Carson is six foot, 220 pounds and has a 127.9 88th percentile burst score. So Chris Carson showed that burst on the field. So big power and burst for Chris Carson, 23 bench reps, 74th percentile, big, explosive, strong running back. That's Chris Carson. That's what we love. I'm stashing Chris Carson wherever possible. Now, if you have draft picks, give us some prospects who are moving up on your draft board. I think this draft class is going to be a lot better than advertised. There's not nearly as much buzz about the 2018 class as there was the 2017 class. And I think that's primarily because the draft analyst community feels this is a weak class because it lacks edge rushers and cornerbacks. This class is weak at a lot of the non-fantasy relevant positions. But in terms of fantasy relevance, first and foremost, we want running backs. That's what we want. That's what we need. And that's what this class has, right? Yeah. This class is loaded at running back. I mean, we're talking about guys that have moved up since earlier in the year. We we said some of the notable names back in the day, and some of them haven't changed. Saquon Barkley still number one. For me, Darius Geis still number two. That didn't change for me after what I've seen this year. But some of the other things have floated a little bit. Right now, and I know there's a question on the show sheet that you were going to ask me, and I'm going to say his name right away, but for me, a guy that wasn't in the top five coming into this year, close to it, but is now inside the top three, is Ronald Jones Oh yes, out of USC. Oh, yes. Ronald Jones looks good. Three straight seasons with the yards per carry above six. This year, he set a career high in receptions with 13. Not a lot, but 12.7 yards per reception. So yep. when given the ball in space, Ronald Jones was electric. He's six foot, 200 pounds. If he comes out, which was a big if, always a big if, with Darius Geis, also big if. But if Geis and Jones come out, this becomes an incredibly exciting running back draft class because I think Ronald Jones will test well. Geis will test well. We know Saquon Barkley is going to test off the charts at the NFL scouting combine. It's a productive, it's a class that's not merely productive. The 2017 running back class was incredibly productive. This class also productive, but I believe also incredibly athletic. That's the difference. It's going to stand out without with athleticism. I think that's the one thing that we're going to take away from this when it's all said and done. And, and just like you said about Chris Carson, when you're talking about these guys on depth charts, if they move up to the second spot or they're the third spot or they're the fourth spot, you look at this guy and you go, he was productive in college. He's highly athletic. Those are the guys that you're rooting for in spots that have fluid running back situations. Look at the New York Giants. If they're a team that drafts one of these guys late, you know, pro- probably some of these guys aren't day one, obviously, but day two guys. There are plenty of these guys that could usurp starting running backs in the NFL right now. I mean, there's going to be tons of guys. Don't be surprised. This is why I'm not stashing replacement level backs just based on late 2017 season workload like Mike Davis. I mean, get out of here. Same with Alex Collins. Alex Collins is a great story, but he was a street free agent a year ago. And the 2018 class is loaded with running back talents who are superior to Alex Collins. And a lot of the running backs across NFL depth charts. Look at the Lions. Look at the Bills with an aging LaShawn McCoy. Look at the Texans. Look at the Buccaneers. Look at the Dolphins. Look at the Broncos. Look at the Raiders. I mean, on and on and on. So many of these incumbent running backs are unsafe. And one guy that's moving up my list is Rashad Penny. Now, he's not necessarily athletic. We don't know how athletic Rashad Penny is, but as soon as you rush for 2,000 yards at the college level, you have my attention. We like Royce Freeman because he's a mega producer. He will finish his college career as one of the most productive running backs of all time. And Rashad Penny looks the part, right? Isn't that what you want? You want a running back who stands 220 pounds and 
has the stature and durability to withstand a full workload, and then goes out and, and is productive, right? I mean, what more would you want in a running back than what Rashad Penny delivered this season? Nothing, and I think this is this kind of goes back to God rest his soul, Jeremy McNichols, Mountain West Conference. The big deal here is that Oh, no. Penny is extremely dominant at this level. Last year as a junior, still 7.5 yards per carry. Well, guess what? The next year, on more than double the carries, he posts double the yards almost. 2,027 rush yards, 7.4 yards per carry. He dropped 0.1 yards per carry on well over 140 more carries. It's amazing. He rushed for over 2,000 yards, and he didn't even reach 280 carries. Yeah, it's to maintain that level of efficiency in the face of that kind of volume is simply special. He's a special running back, but he's older and he's coming out of that Mountain West Conference. So he's not going to be a day one pick, but he will be an immediate threat to all the running backs on whatever depth chart he ends up on in the NFL. The same is true for Sony Michelle. Now, Sony Michelle, in many ways, is the anti Rashad Penny. Because he was not a mega producer, but I believe Sony Michelle will be one of this class's signature size speed specimens. He stands 5'11", 215 pounds, and I think he will shred the combine. And you can rationalize away his lackluster production because of the presence of Nick Chubb. So this is one of the few cases in which I am excited to draft a running back who wasn't necessarily productive at the college level. And I don't even think that it's lackluster production. I mean, it's just limited production. He's more productive than Nick Chubb has been. I still really like Nick Chubb, and I expect him— He's certainly been more efficient. Absolutely. He's averaging a full yard per carry more than Nick Chubb. He's had 60 less carries, but he still had over 130, averaging 7.2 yards per carry. Same amount of touchdowns with— 13 sadly five catches is still two more than nick chubb unbelievably and but in 2015 when nick chubb missed games sony michelle secured 26 receptions in his sophomore season so i believe he can be a target magnet when called upon i think he is electric in space who are your running backs that are moving up the list there's a couple i mean ronald jones is the guy that jumped the most i think one of the big ones and a lot of guys are probably a fan of him by now but josh adams out of notre dame 6'2 225 he's he's a beast man he's been great all year long he's averaging 7.3 yards per carry nine touchdowns this year he's been a focal point of the offense 191 carries wow he's a guy who can get through some tight holes Everybody says he's an upright runner. Well, when you're six foot two, two hundred. Oh, get out of here with the upright runner criticism. Just get out of here. Any analyst that labels a running back an upright runner needs to stand on their front lawn and get run over by Derrick Henry. Uh. And see what it feels to be hit by an upright runner. Right. So he's gonna get that that knock. He he's a Tevin Coleman like player. Is is how I would liken him. Uh, wow. He had a good year. Receptions aren't super high, but if you go look at his sophomore season, 21 catches, 9.2 yards per reception. So effective in the pass game, not as effective as some of these other guys averaging 13 and 14, but 21 catches is what you want to see. You want to see some volume there. But this was a great guy in the Notre Dame offense, and he's likely moved himself into a high second-round pick at this point. So he'll be one of those names that a lot of drafters are going to be chasing after. In the first round of Dynasty Rookie Drafts, I am solely focused on that running back position. I'll be happy no matter where I'm picking in the first round. There's going to be an exceptional running back talent available to us. Even in the second round, all the way to the third round, you're going to be able to get one of these guys we've talked about, whether it's a Sony Michelle or a Josh Adams. A handful of these guys will fall to you in the second and third rounds. Very exciting year to stockpile running backs. But if you are in need of a wide receiver, I went to look up Cortland Sutton because he's supposedly the number one guy, right? The guy everybody wants. Mm -hmm. Top wide receiver in the class. The problem is Cortland Sutton wasn't even the most productive wide receiver on his own team this year. That was Trey Quinn. Trey Quinn is moving up my list because why not? Imagine being Trey Quinn, transferring from LSU, and then finding yourself on an SMU roster across from Cortland Sutton. He's like, I can't get away from big-time playmakers. I would love to have this passing game all to myself. Now, he may not come out this year. He's a junior. But 106 receptions for 1,191 yards, 12 touchdowns. 
You might expect him to have that slot receiver profile, right? Stand 5'10", 180 pounds. No, no. Trey Quinn is six foot 200. So he has that Taewon Taylor stature that I love. So I'm excited to continue to follow Trey Quinn's career at SMU. I guarantee two years from now, my fantasy teams will have more Trey Quinn than they have Cortland Sutton. Same can be said for Anthony Johnson, because I'm not sure if Anthony Johnson's going to come out, but if Anthony Johnson comes out, he will be the singular receiver that I am focused on drafting in Dynasty Rookie Drafts. Because look at his dominator rating. His dominator rating is approaching 50%. Why? Because on Buffalo, a team that has an underwhelming passing game, Anthony Johnson posted 1,355 yards. Only one other receiver on that team, other than Anthony Johnson, had more than a touchdown. But Anthony Johnson had 14. So Anthony Johnson was the focal point of the red zone offense. Posted close to 18 yards per reception. So he was getting downfield. And he was dominating the wide receiver production in the passing game. So you're excited about this player. And I've yet to tell you that he's 6'2", 210. Now how excited are you? I'm excited. Although, per usual, I have my concerns. And one concern is how many years did he play Division One football? One. That's my biggest concern. He transferred from a junior college. So as a junior. So I'm just saying, we've seen this in the past with some players, limited D1 production. Then they come to a school that's in the MAC conference. And I'm not hating on that because what? The number one receiver last year was from the MAC conference, correct? Yes. So it's not a negative, but that's my thing. When I see stuff like that, that's the only thing that makes me pump the brakes. But he's been exceptional. So you're pumping the brakes because Anthony Johnson looks like someone like, oh, I don't know, Dede Westbrook? Uh, well, there's differences. I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you have to definitely be concerned when a guy only has one year of production. He likely stays back. There's no way he's going to be a high round draft pick. So it's better for him, for his draft stock. If he puts in another year, the blueprint was already laid out last year by Corey Davis for a receiver out of the Mac conference. It's absolutely possible. If he does this again next year, he starts to push himself into the conversation of <sighs> second round, late first, maybe if the athleticism is there but likely he's the second round guy. Right, because he's a JUCO transfer, you would expect him to go second round at the highest, but because this wide receiver class is so underwhelming, I'm focusing all my attention in 2018 on the running backs, but I am starting to get excited about the 2019 and beyond wide receivers. So you can just skip this class altogether at the wide receiver position, but my mind is starting to race about some of these options in future years. We will experience a wide receiver lull. Hey, we are experiencing it now. Did you see this rookie class from 2017? It's been an abomination. It's Cooper Cup and nothing. Cooper Cup is the only productive rookie wide receiver. So we're in the midst of a wide receiver talent lull right now. And it's only going to continue for at least the next couple of years until the Anthony Johnsons can save us. But are there any wide receivers, maybe in the later rounds, that we can get excited about? In the later rounds? Well, I'll tell you a wide receiver that I'm a fan of that I don't think is in most people's top seven wide receivers, top eight wide receivers. So um, who? I like Michael Gallup out of Colorado State. Now, I just gave you shit about a wide receiver that had one year of production in the MAC conference. Well, I'm throwing a receiver that's got two years of production in the Mountain West conference. Also, a junior college transfer. Um, <laughs> I will admit, difference, difference here. Michael Gallup, you are fucked. Difference here is he's been extremely dominant in this offense. Um, when he came here as a junior, and this is a guy who was recruited to Georgia as a quarterback, didn't have the grades to get into North Carolina State who recruited him. So he ended up going the junior college route, goes to Colorado State as a junior, has 76 catches, 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, 16.7 yards per reception. Then his senior year, 94 catches, 1,350 yards, 14.4 yards per reception, seven touchdowns, very effective go-to guy. And this is a guy that's shown that he can run the routes. He's got the physical ability. He's got the hands. This is a player that I truly believe ends up going possibly late round one if there's a run on wide receivers like there was a couple years ago. Whoa. Or very early day two guy. Um, he, he's a great player. 6'1", 200 pounds. 
but he's got the resume. And again, he doesn't have the four years of production. He doesn't have the three years of D1 production. But he's got two very good years, and his senior year was dominant. So this is a player that I'm high on that may not go ahead of some of these other, you know, the the James Washingtons, the Cortland Suttons, the Calvin Ridleys, the Deion Canes. These guys will go before him. I do like James Washington. Some, so if James Washington is available to me in the late first round, I will certainly consider drafting James Washington. James Washington is legit. The reason why I like Michael Gallup is because his share of receiving yards in particular was even higher than Anthony Johnson's. In Colorado State, Colorado State's not a prolific offense. Nick Stevens only threw for 3,500 yards, and yet Michael Gallup accounted for 1,350 of those yards. That's a big, big number in terms of yardage share. He played some tough teams this year. He, he even faced Alabama versus Alabama, five catches, 81 yards, 16.2 yards perception. So he faced one of the better defenses with arguably one of the best corners in the draft, maybe going at the top of the draft. So there's a there's a lot to like about this guy. I mean, I understand. I've, I've made this argument against players that you've liked. Uh, the schedule is not overwhelming. Some of these teams aren't that impressive. But the teams that aren't that impressive, he dropped 11 for 102, 7 for 161, 13, 13 for 263, 8 for 212, 10 for 108. I mean, he dropped bombs on bad teams, and that's what you're supposed to do, right? Be dominant yeah. versus the bad teams and be productive the best you can versus good teams, and he was versus Alabama. I would suspect that he was more productive in that game than Calvin Ridley, and the same questions that haunt Calvin Ridley, age predominantly, is the question I would have about Michael Gallup. We need to find out how old he is. Coming out as a senior, probably 22 going on 23 right now would be my guess. What about Anthony Miller? How old is Anthony Miller? Probably 22. So Anthony Miller is coming out of Memphis as a senior, which is a red flag in and of itself. However, Anthony Miller has been incredibly productive. This is a guy I will be targeting if he's available. I actually hope that Anthony Miller does not test well. My hope is that Anthony Miller flunks the combine and that chases teams away from him, and by extension, fantasy drafters, who only care about draft capital, 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 draft capital. Then he falls. So I hope Anthony Miller is not athletic, so I can target a player in the later rounds who's posted two consecutive years with 90-plus receptions, 1,400-plus yards, and 14-plus touchdowns. If you're looking for a mega producer at the wide receiver position, his name is Anthony Miller. Fantasy drafters who only care about draft capital, 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 draft capital. Even Kevin White, who had two years at West Virginia, one wasn't good, second year was dominant, even way more dominant than that. But the problem is, it's like, what does he know about the position? How good is he on both sides of the field? How, you know, What's his knowledge of routes? Well, what's his development arc? That's the question. What's his development arc look like? I read a thing on Michael Gallup, because you started doing this, so I wanted to go back over my notes on stuff, so I read more about him, and he actually talked about that back at junior college, they didn't study film, they didn't do anything like that, so it's like a whole new mindset. You're not just practicing. He, he says, you know, we spend even more time watching films sometimes than we do other stuff. No trade deadline policy for Dynasty. It's fucking stupid. It would be a really useless state if they did that. 
Eminem, I used to idolize him, right? Obviously. White guy rapping when I was younger. It's when Eminem was at his pinnacle. There's been a total decline in his music ever since like the Eminem show. And I, I feel like I've been bitching for a decade about it. Now his album came out today and I'm three songs in and it's just as bad as the last ones were. So <laughs> he sounds bad. Like the way that they mixed his vocals too. It's so uh, airy and spatial. You know, there's few rappers out there that can really get away with letting their vocals kind of stand out. Dude, he just doesn't sound like he used to. Well, what, what do you think is going to happen though when you have that career arc so you're soaked in success for a decade you bought him out on opiates and you think you're going to just resurface as you were before no way man this guy's damaged goods bro he's not josh gordon let's be honest if eminem can't do it no way josh gordon can <laughs> nobody's josh gordon how does that guy bounce back i don't understand i just i don't get it he's magical if eminem can't do it no way josh gordon can what about the anti-Trump cipher? Were you impressed with that? No, it was, it was terrible. Even you saw the guys in the back kind of like, yeah, God. They're turning away. They're like, why, why do we have to be here? The guy is so washed at this point. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Mr. Sapp also gave the plaintiff sex toys as Christmas gifts. Three years in a row. That's my favorite part of the whole story. It's three years in a row. It wasn't just that he sent the sex toys one year. It was not reciprocated. He thought he could continue. He's like, you know what? That dildo wasn't enough, clearly. If I up the ante and I go two dildos, that's going to do it. That's going to be the tipping point right there. It's two dildos, not one. I got it. I got this. More sex toys. That's the answer. More sex toys. That's the answer. More sex toys. That's the answer. It could have been like incremental. Like the first year, maybe it was something small, something small, something small. Are you that confident? Are you going hard or are you going soft? I could not risk going out soft. In the escalation hierarchy, where do you have butt plug? Third in line, I guess. I just figured by like the third year, he gave her like a guitar case with like a double-ended dildo or something in it, right? Like that was... The machines that crank the dildo back and forth. You could put one on the end of like a, uh, like a battery-powered Sawzall. Just Did he do a dick mold? What did they say it was? Could have been a sex toy made from Warren Sapp's penis. That was the final gift, right? That's what he thought. Okay, I got it. This is the one. I've cracked this case. This will be the one. This is good. This will win her over. Yeah, I got you a safety vest, a hard hat, and a power tool. And you're just going to go ahead and take this home with you. Three years in a row, he sent her sex toys. Waited, right, the full year to send the next sex toy. If you wait a full year, you must have written it on a calendar somewhere to remember every year to send that sex toy. I think he was smarter than that. I think this was a strategy move. It's like you don't want to ask your boss to take time off when he's in a bad mood. Everybody's in a great mood during the holiday season, Christmas time. You figure, look, if I'm gonna get away with it, this is when I'm gonna get away with it. A delicious, firm banana. A delicious, firm banana. A delicious, firm banana. You want to know how I know this is the right way to eat a banana? I guess. Did you guys give the netted bag of gold coins? They're called gelt. Yes. You can use the proper terms. I'm well aware of the terminology. I wish I could see the, uh, the Kellys doing Hanukkah. You got to invite me in on FaceTime. Let me get in on that. Things have changed. Back in the day when you were a DJ, turntables way out here. Now everything's digital, turntables way in here. It's very easy. You don't ever look left or right, straight ahead. That's great information. So easy to be a DJ nowadays. Thank you for that. Thank you for trivializing the DJ profession. Yeah, that was needed. We need that. We need you to keep us grounded. We were. I was flying off to the extremes, celebrating the DJs as one of the great artists of our time. But now you're here to set the record straight. You know how my profession hierarchy goes. I don't want to get into this right now, but DJs are very low towards the bottom. Are DJs below janitors for you? No, no one's below janitors. No, DJs are way below janitors. At least a janitor's a full-time job. Wow, DJ is essentially pond scum to Nate Liss. I don't want people to think that because I've got janitor and DJ so close together in the tier that I think that janitors are scum by proxy, but I also want to say that a DJ is not like a full-time job. You're like, all right, man, well, that was a good day at McDonald's, so I'm going to take this smock off or whatever it is they wear, this T-shirt, and now I'm going to go do a gig over here at this house party because I'm a DJ. 
it's not a job. And if you listen to the show and you're a DJ, I'm, I'm sorry that I put you below janitor, but you're a tier below janitor. And I didn't have a tier below janitor before this conversation started. <laughs> there is no tier below janitor until the DJ came along. Now we have it. That's where you are. There's a big snake on Indiana Jones. My daughter was sitting on the right side of the Humvee, and we came up on this snake. And this giant 20-foot cobra says something like, I'm going to eat you, and then comes down like three feet from the Jeep. And the kid was hysterical after that, right? So that's why they should let you know something in advance. It's going to make your kid cry flat out. There's no way. I was scared of it. They just make you sign a waiver instead. That's basically just like a fuck you waiver. I love the fuck you waiver. Everywhere I go, there's a fuck you waiver. If something happens, fuck you, you're fucked. Uh, what does a Jewish lifeguard look like exactly? I don't think you have to be Jewish to be a lifeguard at the JCC. If I'm going to be a lifeguard, better be Jeff fucking Goldblum up there diving into that water to save me. Are you guys swimming in kosher water over there? What the fuck are you talking about? Can we do a show? gift party but it's just all sex toys you've been to a sex toy gift party should have said brandon marshall can we cut that out your character on this show is ape-like is it not i mean i guess anytime i see someone opening a banana on the stem end i'm embarrassed for that person i'm embarrassed for that person i'm embarrassed for mother nature that somehow evolution has led us astray i'm correcting the mistake i'm fixing the glitch there's been a banana glitch. I'm fixing the glitch. Was that a big moment for you when you learned how to create a knife-like blade from a rock? There's a lot of Millers. There's a lot of Johnsons. Who were the rudest, crudest members of your high school class? Do you remember who they were? People in band. And I'm not a woman. And I'm not a woman. And I'm not a woman. I was going to make a joke about, well, if she didn't want it, did she re-gift the Warren Sapp soft cock dildos? But I just, I was like, you know what? going to holster this one. You're going to holster this one? Yeah, you don't have to shoot every shot. I think that's an important question, though. Did she re-gift the dildos? I would hope so. If it's never been used, if it's still in the box, then you can re-gift it. You're familiar with sex toy gifting decorum? No trade deadline policy for Dynasty fucking stupid any analyst that labels a running back an upright runner needs to stand on their front lawn and get run over by derrick henry uh i had a one night stand a long time ago back like high school days and we we're in my buddy's parents bed and they all went to the casino which was like you know 20 miles away they came back hours later and we were in the middle of it and i remember hearing them come in the front door and i think they knew her car was there and my car was there and we had stuck back and so i hear them coming down the hall and they're like oh yeah just, i can think they're in here oh yeah just, i can think they're in here oh yeah just, i can think they're in here and so, you know, I couldn't find any of my clothes, freaking pitch black in there. Go to the door and my buddy, he was a smaller guy. He was on the other side of the door and he's like, okay, on three, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in. And he's like, one, two, and on, on three, the door flies open and I counter hit the door as hard as I could and just blast this guy back across this narrow hallway. <laughs> And me and this girl are locked in his parents, you know, bathroom now in the bedroom. So they breached the door. I've given up. They breached the door. Three guys, you know, barrel through. I'm, I'm naked. I'm naked. I'm naked. But I've made my way to the bathroom. She's already in there and we're hiding. I'm naked. But anyways, that's like the most awkward-ish moment I've ever had. We're like, well, what do we do now? I'm like, I don't know. I guess we date. You want that in the outtakes? That was a good story. you listen to the show and you're a dj I'm, I'm sorry that i put you below janitor but you're a tier below janitor